Welcome to the Dare to Move podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Wood, and I'm not your life coach, just a girl who never gives up. Hi, guys. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Brooks Yang. She is somebody who I've known since I was a very little girl when I was in ski school. I used to ski with her younger sister, who's my age. She's barely two years older than us. And she was always one step above us and just such an incredible skier. I knew that Brooks was type A, motivated, hardworking, and growing up, she aspired to go to Princeton. And as a go-getter does, she went to Princeton. And so I knew that. She's actually from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm from Indianapolis. And the only time I would see her family was at Christmas time in Snowmass, Colorado. So as much as you can keep in touch before a lot of social media, I would know that Brooks graduated high school and then she went to Princeton and I knew that. And then the next update I got was that she decided to go to film school, kind of pivoted her career, her life. And for someone I knew being who was type A, go-getter, very plan-oriented, I was kind of shocked to find this out because it's not your typical progression. And as I figured out that she was going to film school, I thought, wow, that's so neat. I wonder what she'll do. Flash forward to March of 2018, and I ran into her dad in Snowmass. Imagine that. And he said, oh, Brooks produced a movie. You should watch it. And I had, I was about to publish my book, which was an exciting time for me. And I respected so much just the whole process of putting something out there. So naturally, Jeff and I went home and watched the movie. We were blown away. And I reached out to her selfishly because I really wanted to know the progression of how to make your book become a movie. And because it's all about who you know and For all I knew, she was looking for content or a story. So I reached out to Brooks. She had given me an amazing pep talk, explained a lot about the movie industry that I didn't know. And the reason I invited her on the show is not only because she's paved her own way in the movie industry, and you'll hear it from her, but there's no one way to break into it. And there's so many different roles you can do. And it just reminds me of the type, you know, she is the type of person I interview on this podcast, someone who has created a career by their design. And I was so excited to interview her. And when I reached out to ask, she was actually in Prague filming a documentary on the Pope, which you'll hear also in this interview. And over the holidays, she was able to be in Snowmass and thankfully. So we actually got to meet in person, which is so exciting. So good to see her. And I am excited for you guys to learn her journey and really how her background led her to figure out that movies were for her. So without further ado, I introduce to you Brooks Yang. So we'll just jump right in. And I have a quote Mm -hmm. because I start with a quote. And this one's kind of long. It's actually the longest one I've ever done. And it is, the truth is that most of life will unfold in accordance with forces outside of your control, regardless of what your mind says about it. How do you react to that? I think it's interesting because it it's it's true that you don't it feels like you have a lot more control over what you know what you're able to achieve this year, what you're able to how much people are gonna like the work that you do, mm-hmm. how much you're gonna be able to get the fulfillment out of things that you want. Mm-hmm. And I think it really speaks to, you know, wanting to take control of things, dare to do things and mm-hmm. really like, you know, be an active participant and at the same time having to understand that there's only so much you can control. Yeah. And I think that it it's a really interesting push pull that you have to kind of always be at peace with. I think it's actually, I mean, it's funny, we were just talking about yoga, but I felt like what's really interesting about that practice is you have to learn to, you know, understand that it's okay if you feel a certain heat right now. It's okay if your muscles are kind of talking back to you. It's okay if you can't stretch as far as you thought you would go, if you can't go as far as you could go before, if you're not as strong as you'd like to be. Being able to accept that and understand that like, oh, I'm feeling pain right now. That's to be expected. There's not something to worry about. You know, that kind of like understanding that you are an active participant, but also that there are things outside your control is just, it's like fundamentally, it's a contradiction. Yeah. And it's really hard to control that. 
and you want to be. I, I feel like I'm not totally articulating that. Yeah, no, I feel it. And I'm now I'm curious. Do you do yoga a lot? I've gotten – I haven't been doing it much recently, but, but I've done it enough you know it. to – I, you know, I watch the same people online that I always like the video classes that I like yeah. to do because they're cheap and I could do them inside my apartment. Yeah. But it's enough that, you know, when you find the right instructors who I feel like can guide you through the physical aspects, but also mentally, yes. the coaching yeah. ah. without going, you know, sometimes too far, yeah, yeah. too like spiritual. The, I feel like there's a, there's like, a mixture. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally get that. And I was actually, I, I, so I wrote this quote down, like I always do. It's really the only thing I prepare before. <laughs> And as I was reading it, so you guys, as you know, I already introduced her on the intro. This is Brooks, but we were chatting and I happened to mention to her that one of my good friends from high school is an actor on a show and he's going to be on this podcast and she knows him. (laughs) And so as I read this quote, I just thought to myself so much of the, of I guess Hollywood or the movie industry is about who you know. And so that's out of your control, almost in a positive way. Like I've heard so many stories of people bumping into someone at a coffee shop mm-hmm. and you end up doing work together. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a cool way of things, I guess, being out of your control. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we were also just before we started talking about the different roles that you can play in film and in television and in the whole Hollywood industry. And I feel like anytime anybody makes, especially when you talk to actors who begin writing or actors who begin directing or producing, they say that the thing that impelled that change or the reason they started changing what they wanted to do was that it was so difficult going to audition after audition and realizing the end product was totally in everybody else's hands. Oh, you know, man. they have to they have to look at how do you look? It does it depend on, you know, if you happen to look enough like the image that they had in their mind. Yeah. Or it, it you're so much at the mercy of everybody else. And it's funny because I hear that, but I also can hear that when it comes to writing and directing, directing especially, because it's really hard to get a project together. And you're always waiting for the right actor to sign on, the money to come together, the opportunity to come together, the right kind of alchemy of crew to come together, um, where you can do it for the budget that you want and wow. that you get the gig. You know, So in a lot of ways, it's such a collaborative medium that in some ways you always have to depend on somebody else and you always have to... You know, it feels like a lot of people in Hollywood are waiting for the, the right. To, write, to bump into the right person. Yeah. And it's really fun when that happens. And I think everybody else spends the other 90% of the time trying to be ready for when they do bump into that person yeah. in the coffee but shop. But it's probably going to be when they're not ready. Yes. It's always, <laughs> it always feels like you're not quite ready. Like, I know, especially when I talk to writers, they work and they work and they work forever on the kinds of projects that they hope somebody will eventually read. But again, mm. it's about getting somebody past page five yeah. or page two or whatever oh, it is. It's so I feel difficult. that. Yeah. yeah. But so you have to kind of balance what you can do when you go home and you write and you try to be the best you can be and when balancing what you can control and what you can't. Yeah. Um, And I think it's difficult for directors too, even after you get the job, because there are times when I feel like even being like a really low script reader intern kind of person, I was amazed at how many times you would read a script that was really amazing and hearing like, oh, they've got, you know, the guy who just directed some other movie I really like. This is going to be a great movie. Yeah. And it doesn't always turn out great. You can Uh, have everything. You can have everything aligned. Yeah. And it doesn't always make a great movie. One missing part. Yeah. But it's probably one missing part because it really takes all 12 or 15 parts for it to work. Yeah. Which is crazy. And so I'm going to take a step back Mm -hmm. and give you a chance to introduce yourself the way I always ask people to, which is you're sitting on a plane Mm -hmm. and someone asks you, what do you do? And I ask this question because a lot of the people I'm talking to do multiple things. Or for instance, somebody might this is not about an example from my podcast, but there's a person who sells weighted blankets. But when you ask him what he does, he's like, I work for a social impact company. Mm. So it just, I like to enter with that question. If someone said to you on an airplane, what do you do? There's the real answer, which is usually I give the most bland answer because so many people want to talk about movies. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. It's usually people who, I don't know, you don't always necessarily want to be stuck next to you on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need the person that's like, okay, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. So there's the fake answer, which is usually, you know, whatever that particular job is that I'm working on. And then there's the real answer, which it's interesting. I'm just filing for a renewed passport and you have to put your occupation on there. And so I put filmmaker. Okay. Um, because you know, I'm a writer-director, but I can't, you know, I haven't been paid to do that really, Yeah. but I've done so many other roles. And, you know, if you look on my IMDb page, it says one thing. And if you look at, you know, who's paying my bills this month, it says another thing. So it's a lot of different things. I really love movies. I love making them. I love making them in lots of different parts. I'm willing to 
do lots of different roles. Right now, I'm working as an assistant editor and a researcher for a documentary project. Cool. And probably the reason that we're sitting down today is I produced a Western, and I produced another a number of other projects, and that's something I do really enjoy. So yeah, I that's guess awesome. the short answer would maybe be filmmaker. Awesome. And so let's go back to, so I met Brooks's sister, Kelsey, in ski school, mm-hmm. and we skied together for probably 10 years, just yeah. aspiring to be as good as Brooks. <laughs> And always chasing after your ski school class. And so I knew that you worked really hard and you were going to go to Princeton. And, you know, as much as you can keep up with someone that you see for three, four, five days a year and you don't live in the same part of the country, I knew that about you. And I thought that was really admirable. And then I had heard from your cousin, Phil, that you were going to film school. Mm-hmm. And then flash forward to you produced a movie. So for me, I got the cliff notes of just go get her, go get her, go get her, mission accomplished. And like in the short run, you have a lot more, I'm sure you aspire to accomplish, but tell everyone kind of where your brain was to, I guess I'm the most curious about where your head was at, maybe in the middle of your time at Princeton, when you realized that there was something more you wanted to do and you needed to switch schools and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, Part of the reason I chose Princeton was because it's such a broad-based education. And especially when I was in high school, I had this sense – people used to ask me what my favorite subject was. And I would get really cagey about it. And I would say, like, I don't know. I like everything. And they're like, that's not an answer. (laughs) "Ah." And then there would be other times when I would be like, well, I don't want to say that one's my favorite because then I won't try as hard in the other ones because I'll be like, I'm not very (laughs) good at it. And so I tried to be, like, absurdly well-rounded. And, you know, there's a limit to that. And I think that's one of the things I definitely realized when I got to college is – I liked doing all these different subjects in high school is set up. So you learn a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And then college is set up where you get to learn a lot more about many different things. Mm-hmm. And you suddenly start to realize when you're getting taught by grad students who are, have made this their life and their PhD <laughs> and by professors that you are a tiny baby in any field Anything. you step into. Your introduction for everything. You know, even when you're like, oh, I tested out of AP Calc. Like, I love yeah. math. I suddenly realized I, I really liked being really good at math. Yeah. I'm not going to be a mathematician. And yeah. so I definitely started freshman year doing that sort of auditioning process of trying to figure out what my major would be and suddenly being around all these resources and all these incredibly intelligent people who, you know, have dedicated their lives to math or these like crazy geniuses who are 19 years old who are amazing at math. And I'm like, okay, so when it comes to specializing in something a little bit different. So I got to kind of try out a lot of things. That's awesome. And there's a lot more I could, you know, I could talk forever about that whole process, but I ended up settling on architecture. Um, I remember which, that. Yeah. I anytime I, especially in the film industry, people say like, oh, architecture, that's How strange. Does that, but it's a little creative, yeah, right? Yeah. And it was, to me, it became, it came down to that and art history. And they were both extremely visual and kind of had a lot to do with this very much artistic aspect that I really craved and missed when I was you know, briefly going down the path of being pre-med, which I feel like half oh, the school yeah. does for at least a little while. Either they do econ and law or they're like, I might be a doctor. Yeah, um, <laughs> or maybe. So we take all those requirements and figure that out. And I started realizing how much I missed art and especially visual art. That's um, awesome. And what really inspired me about architecture was a few really good teachers who taught me so much about what architecture could be in terms of like flexibility of thinking. And I realized for architecture rather than art history, you get to create your own work. And so, of course, I see all the parallels between architecture and filmmaking. Yeah. A few people who've done it. Like spatial awareness, right? Yeah. And a lot of it is learning how to tell a story in a very visual way. (gasps) I love that. And succinctly. And, you know, when you're um, presenting your little projects as an architecture student, you've got – you basically stand in front of a wall with – a bunch of drawings and a model, and you try and tell the story of what your building is and why and why someone would want to be inside of it. And what's it for and what does it do and where does it go? Oh, my gosh. And that and also like silly little things like learning how to use Photoshop is actually yeah, really useful. Yeah, really useful. I learned a little <laughs> – like a tiny bit in high school and it's helpful. Yeah, yeah. It's really helpful. Um, so thinking visually and being able to tell things in a way that isn't you know showing instead of telling is so powerful. And wow. I know that – I'm sure that's really helpful with writing, writing too. too. So anyway, those were the sorts of things that I really fell in love with on a very emotional level. Mm. And that's why – that's how I ended up in architecture at school and really enjoyed it. But at the same time, I love movies and wanted to direct – and right. So you, your goal was direct. From the second you've decided, okay, I, I think I would be good at this and I want to pursue it, the avenue you thought was that you aspired to was directing. I think it would be disingenuous to say that I had a clear idea from the okay. very beginning. That you know, yeah. I was like, I felt like I was wandering around college and getting the opportunity to have a liberal arts education okay. and to go into a major where you get to tinker with everything. Yeah. You know, and architects, they love to kind of be jack of all trades and try and figure out, you know, 
oh, I want to learn a little bit about urban development. I want to learn a little bit about materials. I want to learn a little bit about the engineering behind it. I want to learn a little bit about kind of the artistic theory behind some of these colors and shapes and form and what does beauty mean? You know, they they love to do a little bit of everything and try and figure out a lot about like the culture and the place where the building is going to be. And you probably work with architects in real Real estate. estate Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And And I know that it's... But there's all different types of that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And when it comes to students and getting to dream up buildings that are only going to ever be made out of cardboard and paper, you get to really (laughs) let your brain run wild in a way that I'm sure when the practicalities of the world come down, it's a little bit different. Interesting. Okay. So Um, then you went into, you went to school in New York for film. Well, actually LA. LA? I I went to UCLA. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I finished Princeton and then was actually got an opportunity to work in LA at a talent agency, which is the mailroom kind of process. It's like a tried and true process. A lot of people who are executives or agents for all sorts of other roles in the industry, a lot of producers start out in the mailrooms of these agencies or management companies. Okay. So basically what an agent does for anyone who isn't quite sure is they're helping their clients get jobs. And that's actors, writers, producers. So it could be any, like directors, directors too? Directors, yeah, yeah. So actor, writer, director. And some producers. And some producers. Yeah. Everyone has an agent. So you yeah. have an agent? I don't. Usually you have an agent once you have a big enough job that you need negotiated. I see. Because they do take a commission. Oh. For actors, I think it's really important to get auditions when you're yeah, somebody who can generate a lot of your own work, it's less important. Okay. Usually you'll get an agent once you have big enough deals that you need to negotiate, basically. I could see that. Did you Um, ever think that you were maybe going to go down the acting route or writing route? I've seen myself on camera enough to know that (laughs) acting isn't for me. You can really tell. I think sometimes you have to be so present. I just can tell that there's something. So many other... Oh, speaking of the camera. Excuse (laughs) me. I got to give them something to look forward to. (laughs) When you get there, were you, I mean, you're from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I grew were, up in Missouri. Yeah. Were you shocked about the culture or the lifestyle or anything? I mean, so I went essentially from Missouri to New Jersey and Princeton, which I feel like is a very specific Oh, yeah. Place. I'm living in, living in Boston now, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. I can kind of appreciate yeah, that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, And being in a college, like, bubble is entirely weird in and of itself. Yeah. And then there's the whole East Coast aspect and then going to L.A., it was, I mean, you've talked a lot about like what a move to Boston was like suddenly as when you're like pretty newly out of college. Mm. It was definitely different for me. I felt like a lot of my friends, especially all the people that I had grown really close to in college were either in New York or San Francisco, especially New York. Yeah. Because so much of the architecture world was in New York or based I, around there. Yeah. There's almost this like assumption sometimes when it comes to architecture that like, well, everybody knows New York City. You could design for New York City. <laughs> New York City is the city that we all know, right? (laughs) (laughs) As though it's just this, like, you know, known, known. Yeah. I'm like, not really. Not really. So that's something that you start to learn. And suddenly I was, like, thrown into this city that I felt like I didn't know. And I was like, it's going to be all these people with, like, nose jobs and fake blonde hair wanting to be actors. And, you know, you can run into those people. Yeah. (laughs) But – you know, especially if you're at a workout class in the middle of the day and you're like, wow, everybody's gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, my gosh. I can see that. But I've come to really like it, especially because I started getting to work at agency and get to see what the reason that a lot of people start out in the film industry in agencies is because you get to just get a little taste of every little aspect of the industry. Cool. Because agents have a high volume of clients and they don't they don't interact with their clients really. I mean, they definitely check in with them a lot, but that's not somebody they're going to call every day. I see. It's somebody who is guiding you through the big points of your career. Okay. And so, you know, in a given day, we get to talk to probably 15, 20 of our clients wow. and get to hear where they are in different aspects of like, you know, somebody who's prepping a pitch to go out as a writer, somebody who we're setting them up for a meeting to maybe get the job as a director. We wow. check in. They, once they get the job, sometimes I send my boss off to go um, on a set visit and actually see them work. And then, you know, some of them are off in editing and you get to see all these different aspects of it. That's awesome. And hear all these conversations about how is an executive at a studio and a producer, how are they making decisions about who they want to direct this next movie? That's awesome. Yeah. And you get to kind of see some behind the scenes stuff like, oh, Baywatch is in development still. They're going to go for another writer. They're going to go for another writer. Oh, I hear the rack's going to be in it. That should be, you know, like you see all these developments and it's really fun, you know, years later to see the posters come out and see ones that were like just baby, baby projects back then. And I feel like, so one thing that stood out to me when we talked in May, I guess Mm -hmm. it was, or end of April, was that you were talking a lot about how 
people, there used to be kind of one way to make it in the industry for any job, whether it's director, actor, producer. And now with Netflix and different production companies and people trying to produce things to sell to Netflix and all, there's so many different routes. Mm -hmm. And you were even, you know, encouraging me, you know, you could find your own way to get, you know, Dare to Move to become a movie that's easier today or less barriers in some ways than maybe it was 15 years ago. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, explain that a little bit. Yeah. I think it's opened up a lot. I mean, there are lots of people who know a lot more about this than I do, but I think just from my, from the vantage point, of what I've seen and and like getting to dip my fingers into lots of different aspects of the industry. What I'm amazed by is, so we have a system in Hollywood that allows movies to get made. Mm -hmm. And it's really good at making really big movies in one particular way, which is a big studio. You can get, you just try and get a bunch of people to go to the movie and it's in this big theater. And then, you know, it's this very traditional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for a long time, that's worked really well. You can Mm -hmm. get people to the movie, and then you don't show it to them, and then you allow them to see it on DVD or now streaming or some kind of later. Yeah, yeah. And what I was amazed by, even, you know, I was working at this agency like five, six years ago, is everybody's had an awareness for the last 10, 15 years that that system can't work forever. But a lot of people are really scared because we don't necessarily know how to do it otherwise. Yeah. And at the same time, there's so many other people who have an opportunity to just pick up and try a new thing. So I think some of the things I was talking to you about is what's still really important to people is having a good story to tell. And I love um, that. Having, it's like so basic. Yeah. Yeah. So basic and so simple, but not simplistic. Like yeah. it's not easy to tell a good story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And finding um, an audience and yeah. the way to link up content to an audience is getting, there's so many more ways to do that yeah. and so many different outlets and so many different ways that people like to watch and consume content. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds very businessy. No, but, but that's um, what it is. I mean, yeah. you have to make money. Yeah. You have yeah. to have money to, to make movies. And um, when it really comes down to it, people want stuff to watch and stuff to listen to and stuff to consume. <laughs> and so having content and having something that you're in a really good position if you're able to generate that little bit. And basically, it's, I guess, goes to say that if you have a good story, there's multiple ways to make it. Yeah. And one thing that I feel like I've learned going through film school and producing for people, mostly people that I know through school, is trying to produce things as cheaply as possible because you don't have access to all of that um, initial investment that even indie films have. There's lots of different levels of budgets, but sometimes you'll see see things that are done by the like independent arm of the studios. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're tiny movies, but actually they're, you know, they're still paying their stars a couple million dollars. Oh, I bet. So So talk us through... I guess just to use a really good example and to learn about your experience, Cassidy Red. Like, how did that come about? How did you find the story? How did you find the team? How did you sync up with them? Yeah, yeah. So, Cassidy Red is a Western. It's like we used to call it kind of a revisionist Western about this woman who seeks revenge against her her former fiance. And so, it's set in the 1800s, and in a lot of ways, it's really traditional. But in other ways, it's sort of fun and creative. You know, she has this like sort of superhero like transformation halfway through the movie, where she decides to dye her hair red and try and go find him and dress as a man and do all these things. So there are a lot of things that we have to play around with that are clearly kind of winks and nods to different Western movies and a modern sensibility. So from the beginning, the story really inspired me. And I thought that was really interesting. How'd you find it? So I was, it was through school. It's actually a thesis project cool. at UCLA. So it was one of the students and he asked me to be involved. he you know, he was a couple years ahead of me, so I knew him. And eventually, we actually started dating. <laughs> so, um, I produced, I was producing, and he's directing, and he's also co producing. Kind of when you're a student, you end up producing as well. The word producing, and I think I explained this when we spoke before, but producing can mean a million different things. Yeah, that's what was so intriguing to me, especially in films, and especially depending on the budget level, and there's all sorts of things. Yeah. So, it's a loose term, but basically, if. If I wanted to explain what I signed on to do for this project, mm-hmm. it's and, and what a producer does more generally, at least at this level, is just try and do everything to make the movie happen. Okay. Um, so your director can have a dream. Experience. Yeah. Your director can have a dream and the producers start to try and figure out, well, how much money is this going to cost? Uh-huh. Where can we get that money? How is the cash flow going to work? Who are we going to hire? Everything down to, and because it was a really small project, those decisions you know, we had, of course, we delegated and we hired other people and we brought people on and we tried to get people excited about, you know, doing this little project together. Yeah. But in order to do that, a lot of it 
you would have really granular decisions. You know, I know what kind of camera we got and where we got it. And um, that's such great experience. How are we going to serve everybody breakfast on day five through six when our caterer isn't available? You know, like oh my gosh, really wow. silly things and tiny things. But that's and- so like bootstrapping almost. Like just mm-hmm. everything you're getting the full experience versus it'd be like you know instead of just jumping into your dream job and doing one narrow-minded thing Mm -hmm. like that's awesome yeah so you get a little overview of lots of different parts of it and I signed on from pretty early on so the script was it had gone through a round of it was a script that the student had written in a writing class cool and so sort of that teacher got to shepherd him through different drafts of it when it was much more about just trying to figure out what the story is and then when it was you have a scene where she's shooting at some chickens. Where are we going to get these chickens? Oh, my God. <laughs> and what's it like to have birds running around on set? Oh, my God. Turning those things in. Yeah. And we still laugh because it seems like he, he managed to put so many different creatures and critters into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> where I was like, do we have to? <laughs> yes. But in certain little things that the writer-director, you know, he's been working in tiny movies for a long time and so had a sense, like, if you've seen the movie, you might notice that Almost none of our speaking characters ever get on a horse. Everyone's walking with a horse. But to have actors who can also ride a horse and the liability of all that makes things a lot more complicated. So he knew. And of course, you know, once you try and get a camera following people on a horse when they're talking on a horse. Yeah. So it's a Western where none of our actors are on horses. But we do have um, extras on on horses who are our wranglers. Like little things like that. That's so funny. just can save you a lot of money if you know, like, oh, I probably shouldn't write, you know, an epic chase on horseback (laughs) in this movie. (laughs) That's so funny. So how long did it take? We had 18 days to shoot it. Oh my Um, gosh. (laughs) So that's 18 shoot days. We did it over three six-day weeks in Arizona. And then we did a couple of days as pickup days in LA. So we added in, we go into sort of the backstory of our characters and we get to see them as as younger kids. And so we did that back in LA. But um, it was three crazy weeks in the hot wow. season of Arizona. That's insane. <laughs> um, part of the way we were able to do it cheaply is the location that we got is called Old Tucson Studios. It's this amazing, like, used to be the sets for, um, originally built as sets for a bunch of different, like, John Wayne movies and Columbia. Pictures had originally built up a set and oh kind of one gosh. one movie would build on to another and keep modifying it. So a cool. bunch, of, bunch of old westerns had been shot there and it's a theme park now. And in the summertime, it's too hot in August. So for the hot season, they close it, and we got to play around with it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Did you have to coordinate that with them? Yeah, yeah. They were really great to us. They gave us a good deal, and they were, like, really helpful. They set us up with horse wranglers and those sorts of, like, all sorts of local people who are involved in movie making in Arizona. So it was really, like, in a lot of ways, it was sort of a dream because we basically just got this, like, empty studio lot, and we got to play dress up and run around. And, of course, you know, the heat was oppressive, and it seemed like... The one day, you know, it rained every day except the day we shot our rain scene. Oh, <laughs> which of my. course it was 110 degrees that day. Oh my god! <laughs> it's it's so funny to watch a scene full of rain that day and know that it was like shining bright. Oh. It was like as hot as it was ever. Yeah, that, that one is- day. So anyway, that's a little bit about the behind the scenes of making that movie. But it was like really gritty, and it was about just. We all basically rented like a Airbnb and took the whole crew and had us all stay together, and it became like a real family, which was really fun. That's so awesome, and I feel like. I learned so much on that project just knowing that like so many things kind of get thrown at you. Oh my gosh, um, I get, it's like you can't even anticipate that you would never expect. Gonna... Yeah, yeah. And how was the course of getting it to Amazon Prime? What was what did that entail? How did they make that decision or how did you make that decision? Yeah, yeah. So we were truly an independent movie in a lot of ways because we got our money from a combination of some grants as a student, you know, like the Hollywood Foreign Press Association gave us a little bit of money through UCLA, which is that's the um, group that does the Golden Globes. Yeah. And they give money to students to make their thesis films. That's awesome. So little things like that. And then we also ran a Kickstarter and then we also got all sorts of other little bits of money here and there that we called together but the cool thing is then we weren't we weren't beholden to anybody in particular and we got to yeah. turn, turn around and sell it so we played at some festivals and through one of the festivals that we played in LA we got in touch with a distributor um, named Vision Films and they were the ones who negotiated they were they essentially like bought our film and they gave cool. us a little bit of money not much <laughs> but when we're talking about this movie it's always small amounts of money to yeah. clean up the sound and do all sorts of like additional finishing things and basically turn it over to them and they were able to turn around and put it onto platforms like Amazon Prime and all sorts of other streaming services and iTunes and That's awesome. yeah and they're also able to negotiate like foreign rights and things like that cool so yeah and it allowed oh, us you know we 
we went through the glorious magical process of um, essentially officially turning over the film. So it's a lot of nitty gritty, but you learn a lot about. But yeah, um, that's hands on from start to finish. That yeah, sounds incredible. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it any <laughs> other way, honestly. Yeah. And it was great oh. because I was just amazed at how much friends and friends of friends were willing to get involved and the director's contact through, you know, some of his friends from college there were so many people who were willing to like wanted to get involved for different reasons that's how we got to know our lawyer which was really great oh my god and he's been such a great guy to help us guide us through the process and cool. things like that so it's definitely it's, it's a project that like you'll never it, we call it our movie baby <laughs> yeah. because it's you know it will never be gone really um, oh, even totally. though the project is essentially done um yeah. it's it's something that like he and I have done together and, and really gotten oh, to know. Yeah. And we haven't, we actually broke up. We haven't been dating for probably two years now. Oh my um, gosh. But it's, it's interesting because the relationship is still there. And I actually yeah. think it, it sounds like it could be really dangerous. Yeah. Um, but that's actually also something that I feel like I've really learned through the process. I know you've touched on a little bit of how your relationships and your work oh, have yeah. been a part of, you know, how you, how you view your career and everything. Totally. And so that was something that I, I was actually surprised worked really well. Um, yeah, it doesn't always work that way. You get to definitely learn. I feel like I know him so well through yeah. the process of making this movie. And I still have so much respect for him. So that, There's I no think, burn bridge. Yeah, so you yeah. can work together yeah. in the future. Or yeah. I'm sure network through each other's networks down yeah. the road. And-, and it's fun because, you know, he's got other projects he's always dreaming up. He's like, if someone wants to hand us a bunch of money on a sequel to this. Or not a sequel, but he's got, he's got another Western he wants to do. But we've got oh, this other, awesome. like little comedy project that um, feels very producible that we're actually going to develop a little bit. Sorry to interrupt. I may be speaking to only a few of you out there, but you a few people need to hear this. Crossroads of Fitness has opened up our coaching services to basically allow for newly certified, hungry to help people, people, coach their own followers in fat loss. So not only will we be training you on how to be an epically amazing coach, but you will be able to make money with our systems, our website, and under our umbrella, thus removing the need to start an LLC or any of the other hurdles a lot of us face when it comes to starting a business. We are going to allow you to have your own side hustle via coaching the people you know and love with our Dare to Eat systems. If you have any interest at all, email us for your application today that my email address is in the show notes. And again, not all of you can resonate with this or relate to this, but if you have any interest in fat loss coaching, you have the certifications and you are excited to help people, shoot us an email and we'll see if it's a good fit. Now, carry on. What was next after Cassidy Red? Because I know that you were just traveling for the film. Mm-hmm. You said you were in Spain. Yeah, yeah. That was actually it was October. But yeah, October. And, so you're and still you're still kind of traveling for Cassidy Red. But yeah. I'm sure since that filmed, you've had a million other projects. So what was the progression from completing something? so special and unique. What was your next step from there? And then where are you now? Yeah, well, the one thing, and I think we touched on this when we talked a little bit before, is that you, because everything moves so slowly in the movie business, and I think you mentioned that it's like this in real estate too, you know, sometimes it's a matter of waiting for one person to take a call and you're trading calls for a week (laughs) and nothing happens with the movie, you know, or this potential movie off in the distance, you always have to be working on lots oh, of that's, I, you know? that's why I think if I had to switch industries, maybe I would in, like that because yeah. I like the, having yeah. a pipeline. And- yeah, yeah. So it, it's really helpful to have something that's, you know, a twinkle in your eye, to have something that like you could be budgeting and working through, something that maybe you're actively working on. Of course, everything goes on hold when you're yeah. like, you know, shooting six days a week and yeah. sneaking off and trying to do whatever else you have to do for the movie on the seventh day. <laughs> <laughs> There were definitely days like that, you know. Oh, weird. I bet. But anyway, and then and then you kind of continue. So there are projects of my own that I've been working on through film school because I was actually still in school when I was producing yeah. the Cassidy Red. And then I've been producing for a couple other short films. Cool. There's a professor who is a director, so I produce for him. 
something that's got Michael Trainer from The Walking Dead in it and Shirley, who's probably best known for Twin Peaks. So that that's been really fun and that's kind of in post-production now. And then I have been in Prague for the last two months um, working as an assistant editor and researcher for a documentary about the Pope, which I think I mentioned. That is so <laughs> awesome. And um, what are you most proud of as you stand here today? Like, you know, still feeling like you're new to this, but still but having enough in your portfolio to you know, have yeah. good experience. What, what are you the most proud? I love that question. A lot of people have a hard time answering it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a good question because I can, the first thing I think of is all the things I wish were more finished and, the, uh, you know, all the things that I would love to show off more. You know, yeah. you always feel like you're almost ready for more, but I feel like Cassidy Red is probably one of my biggest accomplishments and I, I, yeah. I have you know, a real soft spot for the movie. So of that's course. always fun. I, yeah, I feel um, like that way about my book. It's like when you create something that yeah. hands-on, it's yeah, I yeah. Can imagine that. And I'm really enjoying diving into documentary, getting to know. I really love the way the editor thinks about this. Oh, cool. Um, and being kind of an archive person and being an assistant editor, I'm amazed at how much I get to. One of my jobs is basically pulling a lot of archival footage anytime. So it's about the Pope, and most of the footage comes from the official Vatican sources where wow. he's walking around being the Pope. But oh for everything else, we are pulling from past archives of him as a young man and or, you know, if we don't have the moment that we're describing or that the talking head is describing, what visually can be, can evoke that feeling and what can we show at that moment? Um, So I get to get the editor's ideas about what, what might go there and then, you know, search and find those images and watch him kind of say like, oh, that could work. Oh no, I don't think that'll quite work, but pull those three and to see his decision-making process and see how he pulls that in. Oh, wow. um, and him giving me the freedom to just say, like, well, you pulled all that stuff. Why don't you try putting it together? See how it looks. And at first, uh, especially, I was like, you want me to touch the movie? Like, me? Oh, uh, <laughs> that's so- And, of course, like, it's so – I'm amazed. The other thing that's really taught me is, is that nothing is set in stone. You get to just kind of play around. You oh, may, that's Every cool. time you start something, you, you make a copy of what we did yesterday. Ah. You play around. And then the editor can come in and he can make a change or not. The director is going to come in and see it and make a change or not. And so it's been really fun. And I'm amazed at how creative. Yeah, that sounds really neat. I'm going to have to stay tuned on that to see what (laughs) that is and then I can watch it. It's a project that will probably take a while. I'm going back in the new year. But I'm excited about it. Yeah. It's it's cool. That sounds awesome. So tell people uh, what you think the biggest misconception is about Hollywood. I think people assume it's really glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) And I also think the other thing people assume is, well, I mean, it, it makes sense. But when you watch a movie or a TV show, you're seeing the actors and nothing else. Yeah. And I'm amazed at how little the actors are part of your day to day. It's not to say that their role isn't important. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a reason people pay a t- huge attention to casting and performance and because that's really all you have to see and hear and go off of in a lot of ways. Yeah. But there's so many other personalities and thoughts and decisions yeah. behind everything else. And so it's so rarely about I feel like the biggest misconception is that it will be this, more glamorous and that yeah. you're gonna deal with movie stars and you're gonna be around people that you recognize. Yeah. And it's not that. And I yeah. think I was actually worried it would be a lot more of that. Oh. The other thing that I think is a big misconception is I, I, just, I don't think people realize just how slowly everything works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm amazed at how many things I see billboards for that I saw that you knew was happening yeah. twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looked like, oh, we're definitely gonna shoot soon. Or this is this is gonna happen. You know, that's part uh, of other things happen really quickly, you know, especially yeah. as anytime there's one success, everybody's really willing to bankroll something that seems really similar. That's the other thing that I was amazed at by the industry as a whole is how, you know, it's like that William Goldman quote, he's a famous screenwriter who recently died, but he's, I think he's, he's got something like, nobody really knows anything. Yeah. <laughs> Even all these people that you think, oh, because they've been in the industry forever, they must know everything. I'm amazed at, you know, everybody's really excited when someone has a good idea. Yeah. And everybody's really excited when somebody demonstrates that they have real talent and that they, mm. when somebody makes a good movie, everybody's really excited about it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And they want to know what that like special sauce is and nobody really knows. knows. Yeah. yeah. You can't really predict it. I'm amazed at how much, it reminds me a little bit of sitting in a, you know, we would take these like structural design classes for architecture. Mm-hmm. And obviously mm-hmm. there's so much you know about how to build a bridge. Mm-hmm. It was one of the classes was all about building bridges. Oh my gosh. So there's a lot of things that, you know, the math is known. Yeah. But I was amazed at when some of the grad students would discuss some of these bigger projects and they would say, like, there were certain things that we just didn't know. Like, we, we knew it would probably stand up. 
Fingers crossed. <laughs> or like, you know, they're, they're, there's like still a lot more mystery there than I would assume. Yeah, that's actually a really good example <laughs> because you would think it would be pretty straightforward yeah, yeah. with the math. Involved, yeah, but. and I'm sure like, obviously I, I was taking a kind of, it was it was the structural engineering class for the architects, which meant it didn't get into all the details. Yeah. But I was amazed at how much like experts in this field had, there was a certain amount of mystery there. And I'm surprised to find that it's that way sometimes in movies too. Obviously there are things that people know work yeah, you know, you can you. There's a certain way to build a cliff cliffhanger that's going to make people want to come back after the ads. Yeah. You know, there's a certain like sound that music editors know how to do to make suspense. Like, there, oh there, actually, yeah, there's been a whole. There are all these um, really interesting articles about like noises that are famous in um, reality TV to try and like show suspense. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, there's I, certain ways that we know how to make it, yeah. but there are other things that like are really good and we can't always tell why. Yeah, that's so. What do you think I could I could imagine that the mystery would really intrigue me to find my own way, to create my own path, all of that. But as you've been on this path, different projects, meeting different people, you know, moving across the country, what has been your biggest hurdle as far as getting into the industry or maybe once you are in there, something that really set you back? Like what is it what is it that you probably won't forget if you, you know, are willing to share? that yeah. you kind of feel like you definitely had to overcome. Yeah. I feel like actually this one is something I haven't overcome yet. <laughs> I don't know if that's... Oh, that, that's... Yeah. A lot of people have said that yeah. kind of thing. Answered I feel before. like I'm still in the middle of it, but I have an unfinished film that I directed and that I... And this is definitely one of the hardest things that I find in the film industry is being able to trust your own creative decisions, especially <sighs> when you have total control. Total control is it's, almost the worst. It's so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you experienced this writing your book. Yeah. And, and you not know, having work, a boss in yes, certain parts. Ugh. Working from home. And it's really difficult, especially when, and I'm, I'm amazed at how many people at like, who are already hugely successful experience this as well, especially writers and actors and directors. But, you know, suddenly being on my own and not being sure about the decisions I'm making. Yeah. And so I've got this film that, you know, I keep recutting and I need to just decide on how I'm going to cut it Yeah. because I keep imagining this like perfect version of it mm-hmm. and coming down to, and this, this happened on another project that I did finish, but it was, you know, I just, I can get advice on how to write something or how to direct something from mm-hmm. a million people, but in the end I have to decide for myself yeah. and I don't know which answer is going to make it better. Do you think that a lot of people or successful producers or directors typically collaborate. And this is a really weird example, but four of the probably best companies I've ever worked for in the fitness realm were run by two CEOs or like mm-hmm. two partners. Oh, yeah. And I found that really interesting because it's like there's a so-and-so and so-and-so. Like you don't hear there one without the other. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's probably got to be great because you have one that's maybe good at right side brain or the other one that's good left side brain or whatever. But I've just seen that so many times in my life as a professional. And I wonder if you've seen that with directors or producers where they're working in a team. I think good director-producer pair, pairings are really Pretty important. common. Yeah, yeah. No, the, it's Oh, you really always important. have for a yeah. director-producer. Yeah, okay. yeah. You never and, have like two producers working together. Uh, I mean, you do have actually the way- In bigger budget. Yeah. It has to do a lot with the way those like companies are kind of structured. Okay. So that happens a lot. And actually, a lot of times when you're looking at movie credits, you'll see a million producers. Yeah. And sometimes that has to do with money. Sometimes that has to do with rights. That can mean a lot of different things. Okay. It's an industry where it's unavoidable to collaborate. Yeah. But having a really solid a producer and director who really see eye to eye. Yeah. And one, I mean, usually the producer is a lot more logistical and the director can be a lot more fanciful. Mm. But not always. <laughs> sometimes it can be a little yeah. bit flipped, you know? I think having that kind of pairing can be so valuable. Also, I think having a good director-editor dynamic is amazing oh, yeah. because, again, it's, it's a little bit of different thinking. So describe, just because I'm, I mean, a lot of people listening probably aren't in this space, describe like the main roles of the editor compared mm-hmm. to producer. So the producer, again, it can be really general. And even yeah. in, in TV, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. But in general, a producer is, or and or an executive producer is dealing with money, where it comes from, where it's going to go. And a producer is also choosing, for example, if it's based on a book, mm-hmm. they're the ones um, optioning a book or buying a book or a video game or whatever, the, mm. whatever the original, a meme, <laughs> a book written entirely in text. Like there are a lot of rid- really ridiculous things. Yeah. The Slinky movie. <laughs> I mean, it worked for the Lego movie. So they're the ones who are working on acquiring, sometimes acquiring properties or acquiring like the original, the basis of mm-hmm. what you might make a movie off of. Mm-hmm. And they usually have a mission in terms of like, you know, I want to produce movies for these sorts of audiences. Mm. Or what we're really good at is young adult or, you know. Okay. They, so they're helping develop the script. 
And they're also kind of the conduit between who you're going to sell it to. So if it's a studio ah, movie, they usually have – a lot of times the producers have the relationship. I mean, it depends a lot. Yeah. I could talk forever about like how all this could work, but they also have often the relationship with the studio – and they decide if they're going to sell it to their kind of home studio or if they're going to sell it elsewhere or if they're going to produce it and then sell it once. It's a lot more business component. Yeah. yeah. I guess I just didn't even realize how much of that would be in their hands. Yeah. And agents and executives are doing a lot of those business aspects of it. And there are people who are like on the finance side who can be even more a part of that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But the editor would be doing more of actual cutting of the film. The editor is somebody who is – and they are – they're the people who are, you know, working on the computer and mm. they are the ones who are looking for all the footage and really obviously they have a whole team and the bigger the project, the, the more people you have. But they're the ones a lot of times who are really visual and they're able to say like for narrative you're looking at. So if it's something scripted, mm-hmm. you can say like, oh, I think we should be on this camera for that uh. moment or look at how amazing that actor's performance is. Like mm-hmm. I believe that performance. And if we bu- we put in this little pause – then the scene plays this way, you know? Wow. Okay. So they're they're really looking at, or I think music should come in here. And of course, the director is always, yeah. there's a back and forth with the director on all these sorts of decisions. Um, so it's really hard, actually, when you see a movie, whose decision was what. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now I have a lot of questions about different movies. <laughs> um, but it's an crazy. editor, a lot of times, has a really good sense. In a lot of ways, they're good writers, because they know how the movie should be structured. Because, you know, this is an idiom that you hear all the time in, in film school and all over. But, you know, you write the movie when you write it. You write the movie when you direct it. And then you write it again when you write it. Uh, <laughs> um, because <laughs> they're the funny. ones – yeah, they're the ones who know, like, the editor often is figuring out, like, oh, now that we've seen this expression on our actor's face, I don't think we need this line. Uh-huh. They can chop things up. They can change scene order sometimes. Wow. They can – pull together a lot of times they're helping decide you know when should music come in how do you want to get into the scene how do you want to come out of the oh, scene wow. what's that last image that you see on the scene are we going to end with the man thinking really like with sort of a sad moment are you going to end on the woman like walking away how do you want to feel oh that's so intense yeah and wow. so they are really good editors know how to um kind of draw the attention and keep keep a kind of dynamic like Positive, negative, positive, negative. They're keeping wow. your kind of like roller coaster of emotions. Obviously, a well written script will do that too. Yeah, but they have control over that. Do you ever feel like actors, or have you ever heard stories of actors seeing a movie after it's been filmed and being like completely shocked <laughs> <laughs> or like um, taken aback or surprised? I don't know. I don't know if it's surprised because a good editor knows how to capture the spirit of the script. Yeah. And ideally, everybody's making the same movie. Yeah. Of course, it's not always the movie that that it looks like yeah. on the page. Ideally, they won't be shocked, but actually it's funny when um, one of our actors saw Cassidy Red, she played the young version of our main character and there was something about the character she, she had no idea. She always gets surprised because, I guess I don't want to give too much away, uh, but yeah. she was surprised when she saw the movie because they were like, you know, she Thanks got to see her it. adult self uh, go and live the rest of her life. So that was an exciting experience. But to answer your question originally, I do know one editor I worked for said that he... he Thinks it's always funny because anytime he visits set, the actors sometimes want to suck up to him because they know that he's in control of how the oh, performance looks. Yeah. Because it's amazing how much you can shape a performance and you can make maybe a not great actor look much better because you, you know which aligns to use and which version to use. And what angle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And you know how to make someone look really good or not as good. Interesting. Um, wow. So I think that can happen. But in terms of like in a perfect world – the movie you thought you were making is going to show up on screen. It doesn't always happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you actually recommended to me that I listen to the podcast called Script Notes. Yeah. And I did. And one thing that I really liked or thought was interesting as a writer was that they talk about making a Bible for the, for the book. Mm-hmm. And I think they might have used Big Little Lies as an example where it's a great novel. It's a story from start to finish. And then when it gets produced into a show or miniseries, then they have to come up, they want to come up with a sequel. And obviously the original author didn't write a sequel. So the author, I think it's the author comes up with a Bible when they submit Mm -hmm. that basically says what can and can't happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Reese Witherspoon is never going to hook up with so-and-so as long as time goes on. (laughs) I thought that was really neat because uh, I think it would be hard as a writer because there's so many possibilities. And I think that like you're saying, things take different shape after they become a miniseries or a movie or whatever, and after it's taken that new form, then it's kind of almost out of the author's control, depending on maybe how much control they had. I don't know. Yeah. I just think that's really interesting. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I mean, I think 
writers and authors can empathize, but it at a certain point it feels like your characters take on a certain life of their own and there's certain things that you want yeah. them to do and they start to starts to feel natural and right. Yeah. And certain things that don't. And I think it's really difficult, I'm sure, in this case with a television, a really popular television show, yeah. you want to have more, but just because someone wants more content doesn't, doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. And it's really fun. I my a friend of mine sent me like one of the original Bibles for The Wire. And it was fun because the character names are a little bit different, but um, so much about a sense of what this world is and who these people are and how, like what, it was a document that I felt like portrayed the spirit of the show so well, even at this really early stage before you had a single actor involved. Oh, that's And before you really get to see a lot of the things that make the film or the show so captivating. That's awesome. And who do you look up to? Do you have any mentors in the space or anybody that you turn to, or maybe it's even a book you've read that kind of keeps you going as you navigate the space? Mm Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I feel like it changes a lot. I, I have the director that I recently worked for is Professor UCLA, and that's that's the short film that we produced. And I felt like I learned so much from him because I was, you know, producing co-producing that one, and then I also ended up co-editing it. Cool. And I felt like I learned so much from him. He's one of those people too who can go on so many tangents, and he likes to portray himself as a grumpy old man. So he has all these like life advice things to tell me. <laughs> but I felt like that's awesome. I feel like it's really interesting because I can get. You know, when you sit with somebody as intimately as in an editing room, you get a really good sense for it. Like, oh, I like that moment. You know, you, you have so much back and forth. That's awesome. Um, and we can argue about things. And I can say, like, I'm going to try it this way. Yeah. We do it. And then sometimes I'm like, I was wow. wrong. <laughs> yeah, now or, I'm like picturing that and I can imagine how hard it is to decide. Yeah, yeah. Because ah. um, you could cut the same scene with the same footage so many different ways. Oh, man. Um, and it's, that's crazy. So I feel like I learned a lot from him, both about that and all the asides he has, but like, you should do this with your dog. (laughs) He's one of the few people that I'll actually listen to. (laughs) So anyway, I really enjoyed getting to work for him and there are a lot of the people, but he's somebody that I feel like I've learned a lot from and gotten because I feel like I get inside of their head head, creatively even, you know? That's so cool. And, um, do you, I ask this question as every time, if I can remember, do you have any weird quirks about you? Because you know, I, I think you're successful. I think you're motivated and driven. And I find that a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people that are successful to get up and pursue things that aren't just going to happen. Like you literally have to create mm-hmm. or show up for or delegate or hire or whatever you have. You literally have to go out and do it, have weird ticks about them. So <laughs> maybe it's like, like, for instance, there were two years of my life where I got up at 3.31 in the morning, like every day of the week. Now I only do it two days a week. And I know people like jump in a cool, cold pool of water. So yeah. is there anything that you do that is maybe weird, maybe you don't think it's weird, but that you really think helps you stay on task or get a lot of projects done, you know, at the same time? Yeah. I'm trying to think. This isn't especially unusual because I know there's a huge fan base there, but I'm obsessed with crossword puzzles. Oh, um, nice. I've actually never had that answer before. <laughs> I love them. It's gotten to a point where sometimes I need to moderate myself awesome. <laughs> because I'll do way too many of them. That's awesome. I just got a um, actually a gift of a full subscription, but like for a while it was like religiously I had to do the mini as soon as it was up because they publish a mini crossword every day and then I have... At one point, I oh like bought out the entire New York Times crossword like app store store of <laughs> possible puzzle packs. Oh um, my gosh! I've I've since like they keep you know there, there's more there's puzzles out there I haven't done, um, <laughs> but and there will always be more crossword puzzles. Yeah. And I, I always thought of it as, as something that like only old people did. But it's it's one of those things that is so different from what I'm doing during the day. It's oh, one nice. of my favorite things to do to relax. Do you do it in the morning or at night? At night. I know it's awesome. it's usually a morning thing, you know, sitting over breakfast. But kind you know of thing. what though? That makes a lot of sense to me because when I want to be like brain dead after a long day of work with whatever job I'm doing, I actually will put on like content on Netflix. But I can imagine that your brain can't watch Netflix the way that my it's brain different. can. It's different. I watch a lot of really dumb TV that I don't need my brain for. But that, um. yeah. but that makes sense, though, that you're doing something else. Yeah. To, like, turn your brain off. Yeah. It's, and it's funny because it's stimulating, but it's it's it, it's a different way. And I can fall asleep to crosswords so easily. That's even hilarious. Though, even though you're oh thinking of it, it would seem weird because, you know, the app, it's, it's, it's you know, shout out to the New York Times crossword app. But they, they designed it really well. <laughs> it's, it's, like, times you and it's got all these things. And oh, you would think so funny. It's like playing a game. And you would think it'd be really stimulating, yeah. but I find it so relaxing because it's just like trivia and you get to use vocabulary and you do all these things that yeah. you, I'm not doing during the day. That's awesome. And it's something really small and square that I can achieve. Yeah. Today, you know? It did it. Accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. That's if awesome. nothing, it's like, it, and it's always a little bit challenging, but it's, um, the minis, 
I'm gonna have to like, now go now go try that tomorrow yeah. while I'm traveling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's fun too because I also feel like I can cheat if I want. You know, like yeah. I look things up, and then uh-huh. when you look things up, you end up in learning some kind something? of click hole. Yeah. yeah, and you end up looking up stuff and just learning things Random about random facts. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's it's just a little part of my day that I come to really enjoy and look forward I to. I love it, though, because I don't know if I'll ever realize. get that answer <laughs> ever again. And I guess my final question for you is, and this probably might be a long answer, is like, what advice do you have to anyone out there who is, whether it's aspiring producer or writer, I think probably the majority of the people listening, because of the fitness entrepreneurs I know, do write. Mm-hmm. Like they put out content actively, maybe more so writer-focused advice. Um, just for how to get your content out there or I guess how to network your way into the industry. Yeah. One thing I would say has been really helpful for me. I, I'm not sure if this totally answers your question, but finding a group of people whose opinion I trust about my writing. Ooh. Yeah. You you had mentioned before how like sc- it's that like familiar, scary feeling of putting yourself out there once mm. you post. Yeah. It's um, always scary. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like at least you're used to it. Yeah. I, I feel like I enjoy – and film school has been so great for this – is finding classmates who I feel like whose opinion, even if their work is different, I can trust their instincts. Oh, I like that. And this goes, I mean, it's writing, but also really works well when it comes to showing somebody a cut of your film because you're so vulnerable. And yeah. to be able to, and you can get opinions from everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but getting opinions from people that you feel like you could listen to and, and those notes are useful, finding those like people that you really trust. And that I think can really keep you moving forward. And and I was amazed. That's one thing that I felt like was really beneficial in film school for me was getting to bounce ideas off of other people and also getting outside your own head yeah, <laughs> and the I, way you always write things. Yeah, I miss that about yeah. – I miss that when I work from home. I miss collaboration. I miss – Bouncing ideas off of people yeah. because there, it's important. Yeah, and there are things – I was surprised at how many ide- my ideas – I was like, oh, that's so boring. That's, that's the most obvious version. And then I hear other people's take on the same ideas. I'm like, hey, it's not – it's not as boring or as neutral or as it, like it actually there's Works. there's some stamp of me that is unusual there oh, and let me try and yeah. find it and let me find what's you know it just gives you a little bit of perspective which I think is useful I love that and easy to lose when you're writing alone oh man that's awesome and I got I just came up with another question I want to ask sure. you before I let you go so when you picture yourself and your career ten years from now. And, you know, if you could snap your fingers and see where you're standing 10 years from now, what would you want to either be working on or have achieved or have experienced? There's so many things. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> I would love to be behind the camera for a movie and to, I feel like to move people. I mean, it's the holidays. They're manifesting right now. Yeah. Yeah. The holidays are such an exciting time to, and being with family, you get to share movies and TV shows and things with family. I feel like they always want recommendations. And so we, we just watched Coco the other day and like, I was crying my eyes out uh, and it was, have you seen it? I know, but I want to, it's on my list and I've heard someone else say that. Yeah. It's, it's really sweet. And I, I don't want crying to deter you from no, watching no. it, but it always makes me cry. And I just love that feeling until like, it would be so amazing to move somebody like that. Yeah. Even, I mean, obviously I'm not going to make a movie like Coco because that, that's so unique to all the people who created it, but get to like move people and get excited about that yeah. kind of movie would be so much fun to do. And I want to continue doing that as a producer, but um, yeah. really fun to do that behind the camera too. Cool. And what's the difference do you think from, do, from it's, your perspective of just... It's uh, just a little more creative. Okay. Like, yeah. I mean, not it's not to say producing isn't, but um, you... Really feel like you get on. to yeah you really get to, you really literally. get to manipulate that like yeah. emotionally manipulate people I guess that's awesome so yeah cool well thank you so much for being on and I have links for Cassidy Red in the show notes is there anywhere else you want people to find you or connect with you I think that's good for now okay. <laughs> I've awesome. uh, you know got other things I need to work on okay. before I start well definitely check out Cassidy Red I've watched it I watched it last March 2018 Aww. so. It was great. And thank you again. And I hope to maybe have you back in the future and hear more. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Of course. If you guys are putting up your preach hands and nodding your head yes to things that are said either out of my mouth or out of my interviewees' mouths, and you so, so, so relate, we would absolutely love to see you post about our podcast in your Instagram stories. Please also comment on our Instagram Dare to Move podcast posts. If you do a post in your stories three times and you comment on one of our podcast posts and you give us a review on 
iTunes or whatever platform you are using. We will be rewarding one lucky person every month with a $100 gift card to Amazon. Your comments, your feedback, your critiques, and your reviews are so helpful to us. So thank you for those of you who have done them. And please, please, please help us out if you are enjoying our content. It helps us out when you share it with your community and when you tell iTunes that we're doing a great job. So please comment. Please share on Instagram in your stories. Please comment on our Dare to Move podcast post and we will enter your name into a drawing for a hundred bucks. Easy money, guys. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to connect, you can reach me at Garrett N. Wood on Instagram or the podcast Instagram at Dare to Move Podcast. Imagine that. I hope you have an amazing day. And just so you know, our podcast is where we explore all the productivity hacks, business scaling tools, and unique characteristics and personality traits of entrepreneurs leading the way in the portfolio lifestyle. Get inspired, gain actionable steps, and feel like you're connecting with genuine people who are making an impact all by way of careers which they designed. And that being said, if you are someone doing any of the aforementioned, I would love to have you on the show. I obviously explore my network and reach out to the people I know, but I want everyone to have an opportunity. So do not hesitate to reach out and request an interview. And let me know if you know somebody who you think would be really exciting for the Dare to Move podcast to interview. I hope you have an awesome day. And as always, dare to move. Dare to move.